Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Facts don't care about your feelings. I know a lot of you guys out there, you've heard that quote before because I know a lot of you guys out there listen to Ben Shapiro. And so if you are a Ben Shapiro guy, or even if you're not, you know that that's a, uh, a phrase that has been attributed to him. Facts don't care about your feelings. So that was something that he started saying in speeches a long time ago. It's something that he tweeted that's been retweeted, I think, a quarter of a million times or favorited a quarter of a million times. And it's really become a, a mantra for young conservatives. And uh, being a conservative myself, mainly conservative on a lot of different issues, uh, I certainly align with this. And today we're going to be talking about kind of the dichotomy between facts and feelings, because there, there certainly is a dichotomy. And you might be thinking like, why? Like, what in the world would this attach to? But Believe it or not, we're going to kind of continue last week's podcast. So on last week's pod- podcast, we were talking about the Me Too movement, how it's been weaponized, and how I really felt like it had kind of been run aground because of the stuff going on with Judge Brett Kavanaugh and uh, Dr. Blasey Ford. And, you know, from the time that I recorded that, I recorded that the Sunday before the Senate hearing that that happened later on in the week. And so, so many things has happened since I recorded that. And, you know, I didn't really have time to really go back and record anything. And so I was just going to kind of let it ride and see what the week will look like. And so I'm actually recording this the night before the release. So this release is on Thursday. I'm recording this Wednesday night. So I wanted to get as much of the information in as possible. And so in one quick thing from last week's podcast, I, when I went back and listened to it, I said Brett Weinstein twice whenever I was trying to refer to Harvey Weinstein. And so obviously if any of you uh, are familiar with the IDW or the intellectual dark web, you know, Brett Weinstein's a part of that. So yes, it's just, you know, faux pas misspoke. So whoops, that's how it goes. But uh, just to kind of get you all updated, if you haven't really been following the news on the Judge Brett Kavanaugh and the Dr. Blasey Ford situation, um, it looks like at this point that the FBI investigation is going to be wrapping here soon. Uh, There were reports today that it would be done and and they're going to have a certain number of senators that are going to be able to look at the report and everything. But essentially, this is the seventh FBI investigation into the past of uh, Judge Brett Kavanaugh. And for the seventh time, they're going to find nothing. They have found nothing that would implicate him in any of these different things. Um, And Judge Kavanaugh, obviously, last week, he had the votes in order to get out of the committee. It looks like the Senate is going to be voting on him this week. And it looks like uh, because of the confidence from Mitch McConnell and some of the other folks in the Senate that they feel like they have the votes, even if somebody peels off at the last second and it's 50-50, they obviously have the vice president's vote. Mike Pence as the tie break. So it looks like, uh, you know, all the signs are pointing to the fact that Judge Brett Kavanaugh is going to be confirmed. Um, And, you know, in the meantime, there were two other sexual assault allegations that came out uh, after uh, Dr. Ford's allegations came out, and each one was more ridiculous than the last one. The final one was that he was one of the proponents or leaders of a gang rape club or something like that. Um, and the, the evidence for this was even more hilariously bad than what was, what Dr. Ford brought forward. And it, it just, you know, basically you, you could see what this was is, is that it was kind of a smear job. What the, they were just trying to delay things, get it until after the election, but it's just kind of how it goes. And it, it sucks that, that we live in a country right now that is doing this politically, but it's just, that's where we live. So, um, but let's go back to the testimony, because I think it's really important for us to talk about what went on during the testimony. So. Um, Unlike what Ford's team wanted, uh, they actually made her go first. So I remember remember me talking about how they wanted Kavanaugh to go first, which made absolutely no sense. So luckily they were able to get that all squared away. And, and here's the thing. If you watched Dr. Ford's testimony, um, you know, 
she seemed very believable. Um, she seemed like she had honestly been moved by something that her life had been, uh, you know, irreconcilably altered that, you know, it's gone in a completely different direction. And, and she really did seem like, uh, like she was telling the truth. I mean, she just seemed highly, highly believable. And then you get to judge Brett Kavanaugh. And then we got to see a side of Kavanaugh that we hadn't seen yet because he seemed kind of like, you know, just kind of a ordinary kind of dorky guy, right? You know, just unassuming and whatever. But he came out guns blazing. Like he came out guns blazing from the beginning. He came out like a guy who wanted to fight. Like, hey, the, these allegations are ridiculous. They've already stained my family name for forever, but I'm not just going to sit here and let you just run roughshod over me, right? So they were very different testimonies. I guess we could have guessed that Ford's testimonies were, were going to be very emotive um, and, and those types of things. And obviously the, the Democratic senators were uh, making sure to be as emotive as possible with their questioning because that certainly helped their cause. Uh, Republicans were trying to be fact-based while at the same time being empathetic. Um, You had the prosecutor that they brought in, uh, I believe is from Arizona or New Mexico. Uh, Gosh, that was not a great performance by her. Uh, Obviously, they needed someone up there that could do a little bit more cross-examination, not just the the prosecutor going up there and doing her thing. Even though, in hindsight, she wrote a report saying, that, you know, there was so little in this case that Dr. Ford brought forward that she could even she could even get a warrant to search anything because of, of the evidence that was presented. Just nothing would have been able to get through her normal matrix of, of things that would get her to that point. Um, but but guys, at the end of the day, we have to look at this from a couple of different standpoints. So today we're talking about feelings versus facts. Right. So from a feelings standpoint, like I already said, Ford seems believable. And to be honest, if they had held the vote right after her testimony and not given Judge Kavanaugh a chance to come out, it's very likely that Kavanaugh would not have been confirmed. I think that's that's really fair to say is that Ford seemed very, very believable. These allegations seemed very, very credible, even in the it almost made you forget that there's essentially zero evidence aside from from her allegations that this ever happened. And then again, from a feeling standpoint is Judge Kavanaugh seemed believable. I mean, he was so. Uh, emotional with with his denial, how this couldn't possibly have happened, that he would never do something like that. You know, talking about how his daughter, his 10 year old daughter, you know, was actually praying for Dr. Ford. And and you could see uh, Judge Kavanaugh's wife over his right shoulder in the frame. And and she was trying to hold it together and being trying to be tough. And so from a feelings standpoint, both of them seem believable. So what do we do? If the way we feel doesn't doesn't match reality, like how do we reconcile that? Well, luckily, we don't just look at things from a feelings standpoint or we shouldn't. There's also the facts standpoint. Right. And follow me on this dichotomy, because this is going to be a little bit of a review of things we've already said or things that you've already heard. But from a fact standpoint, this is what Ford has in her favor. Well, it's not really in her favor. This is just essentially what we do know is that she can't remember when the alleged assault happened. She can't remember where the alleged assault happened. She can't remember how many people were in the room when it happened. She said it it was two, and then it was four, and then it was three, and now it's four again, right? She's kind of been all over the place. And, and then one one thing that I find to be really, really huge is this uh, uh, Blazy Ford, who was 15 at the time of the assault, she couldn't drive herself. And apparently the, the area of town where this assault took place was, was kind of out, on the outskirts, like oh, not close to her house. So the thing that's really important is she can't remember how she got to this party where the alleged assault happened, and she can't remember how she got home. 
So if, if we're looking at this geographically, we can assume she didn't walk home, right? She, she claims that she ran out of the house fearing for her life. We can assume that somebody picked her up from this party if she was ever there. And just to be honest, if you're 15 years old and you were just, you know, scared within an inch of your life, according to you, and almost raped, uh, don't you think if it was your mom or your dad or another friend that was picking you up or an older sibling that perhaps they would have noticed something was awry? Especially if you, you just, you know, had this horrible life-defining moment? I mean, wouldn't that be logical? But she can't remember that. She can't remember how she got home. Um the only things she could actually remember with any certainty or clarity was one, that she was sexually assaulted. Two, the perpetrator was 100% Brett Kavanaugh. And three, she only had one beer that night. So those are like the only details she actually can remember. Keeping the facts going on Dr. Ford, all four people that she said were witnesses of this assault have refuted her story publicly. Um, the psychiatrist, so back in 2012, she apparently, uh, told a psychiatrist, uh, about during, you know, a couple's therapy session about this assault. But unfortunately the notes from Dr. Ford's session, uh, don't mention Kavanaugh at all. So, and if you compare the psychiatrist's notes to the notes, uh, from any of her times that she has spoken about this, even through her lawyers, they don't really match up. Uh, and then there was some more damning evidence that really came out this week, which was that one of her exes, um, one of Blasey Ford's exes, came out and testified that Ford knows how to beat polygraph exams. So Dr. Ford is a, a clinical psychologist and uh, that she had actually taught other people to do so. Like she taught other individuals how to beat a polygraph exam. So if you don't know why this is important, it's because her lawyers had her take a polygraph exam um, right after these allegations were kind of coming out and apparently she passed the polygraph exam. But, but guys, you have to understand something about a polygraph test. Everyone calls it a lie detector test, which is a misnomer because it doesn't test whether or not you're lying. It tests whether or not you believe what you're saying is true. So that, that might seem like we're splitting hairs, but the thing is, is like, uh, if, if I think something is true and I say it, even if it's not true, I can pass a polygraph because I believe that it's true. I mean, guys, there's a reason why polygraph tests aren't admissible in court. I mean, it's because they're too easy to game. I mean, you can read a couple of blogs and watch a YouTube video and pass a polygraph test. Like, this isn't like a really, really hard thing. And and unfortunately for Dr. Ford, well, maybe not unfortunately because this would be the justice system, she she may have perjured herself while she was under oath because her ex her ex boyfriend uh, or ex husband I can't remember, but he came out and under under threat of perjury himself, he was under oath whenever he gave this testimony that she knew how to pass polygraph exams. So there's a lot of really damning stuff out there about Dr. Ford right now. And then in terms of the fact side on Kavanaugh, like I mentioned earlier, he had already been through six FBI investigations. Like when he worked for the Bush administration, he had the highest top level of clearance. Like he had access to. Um, you know, nuclear codes and every bit of intelligence that he could have wanted to get his hands on. And so they don't just give anybody that type of clearance. I mean, they talk to everyone. I remember whenever I got interviewed um, because my buddy was going to be joining. uh, I don't know if I can really even talk about this, but uh, I mean, I guess I'm going for it. He was in the Air Force and he was going to be doing some reconnaissance uh, in language study of, you know, a country that we like to keep an eye on. We'll we'll call it that. And I got interviewed by the military and the FBI. (laughs) Like for my buddy, just to get a job with the government, right? And and this is a guy that you will never know, you will never meet. He will likely never make the newspapers. But the, I I was even interviewed for that, and I was just a childhood friend of his. 
So you would think if someone was going to be working directly for the president that the, the investigations would have been thorough and he gone through six of them and then this week would have been his seventh. And so we can assume they've all been thorough and we can assume also that they haven't found anything. And I guess the other facts-based thing with Judge Kavanaugh would be that we supposedly uh, are supposed to live in a country that still has the presumption of innocence. And guys, I know it's going to seem like I'm going on a little bit of a political rant here, but but there's still supposed to be that presumption of innocence. But it it seems like the feelings-based culture has flipped that to where it's like, no, 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 I feel like this is true, so it must be true, and you have to prove it wrong. Which, I mean, this is, this is you know, 101 stuff. You, you can't prove a negative, right? I mean, it's, it's impossible to do. You can't prove that. And, and so it's just... Again, guys, we get to this whole facts versus feelings thing, and I'm wanting to keep the theme of this podcast on that side. But the thing that I find really, really interesting is when we do look at politics, and again, this isn't a political podcast, but yeah, you know, forgive me, we're going to get a little bit political today. It seems like the political left and the political right are, are in those two camps. So it seems like the political left is very feelings driven, and the political right is very facts driven. And and so one way that I think is easy for us to kind of talk through that, because you might disagree with that. You know, people on the political left think they have it both ways. People on the political right think they have it both ways. But, you know, as someone who tries to be neutral and intellectually honest, I think people on the left are very feelings-based. People on the right are very facts-based. But the the thing that we know about bad ideas, so let's pull this back even one more level, even a little bit more macro. Bad ideas can only be enacted by force. So when we're looking at this politically or governmentally, If it's a bad idea, you have to enforce it because people otherwise would not vote for it, especially in a country like the United States, where where we have open elections, where we are democracy to a certain degree. Uh, We have liberty in voting, those types of things. And the thing is, is with these bad ideas is they have to be enacted by force because nobody would support them otherwise. So you, you see some different pockets of socialism here in the United States right now. And, and the reason why you don't see these national candidates right now that currently support socialism is because it's pretty easy to debunk socialism as a horrifically bad idea in every stretch of the imagination. And th- this is not a podcast about socialism, but obviously socialism has never worked on a large scale. And essentially people that love socialism, socialism and want it to be in the United States, these are people that it's cr- constantly a moving goalpost for these people. Like they loved Venezuela until people, you know, pretty much had to start eating dogs down there because they can't even get food. They can't even get toilet paper down there. And then it's like, oh, well, they were never really socialists. So it's just a bad idea. And so what we see is we see people on the political left right now fighting to take over the court system as opposed to getting people elected. So it's not that they're not trying to get people elected, but when you get people elected, they still technically are beholden to, you know, their interest holders or their constituents, right? And so they still have to do things to please those individuals so they can get reelected. These these court appointees don't really have that, especially to an office like the Supreme Court, which is exactly why I think that this entire stink has happened to begin with. Like these allegations, which again, could be true, but would that would fly in the face of everything that we see now in terms of what what evidence is out there. But these courts, if if the Democrats can win here, if they can get Kavanaugh's nomination, you know, negated or something like that, which doesn't look like it's going to happen, and they can again get one of their people on the Supreme Court at some point, then basically they can legislate these really really bad ideas into real life and into law, right? And, and so. 
again, guys, I know I'm going a lot of different areas in this podcast, but I just want you to understand the enormity of what we're seeing. I mean, I don't normally talk about the same subject two weeks in a row, but to be honest, I really feel like this, this was a watershed moment for our country. Like, and I don't want to be hyperbolic and exaggerative and, and make it seem like it was something more than it was. But man, this, this is one of the craziest things that, that I feel like I've seen in a while. Like, it was just nuts. It just, you know, initially, because you're like, oh man, what if this is true? How, how terrifying is this? How could this guy have accidentally got onto the Supreme Court with all these allegations? And, th- and then you start seeing the evidence or the lack thereof, and you're just like, man, this feels like a witch hunt. But they wouldn't do that, would they? But I guess the one big thing that this has really helped me think about, because, you know, we've had two weeks to start really digesting all this, is it's kind of made me think about Christianity and Christians in particular and and conservatives and how essentially these groups of people don't really know how to fight and and don't typically know how to fight back or or they won't. Right. And I I was listening to a podcast earlier this week where they talked about it briefly. It was on the cross politic podcast. And, you know, I I had the idea before that podcast even came out, but that, that I, that podcast really helped me solidify it in my head. So I'm super appreciative of it. But the thing about it with Christians and conservatives is, is we typically have facts on our side, but, but we're not willing to step up and be loud enough to be heard. You know, it's some, it's, you know, speak softly and carry a big stick. And we have this idea where, you know, we don't have to be out there and boisterous and scream about it. That's what the other people do or people on the other side do and that type of a thing. But I think we saw an incredibly good example of a Christian conservative come out, you know, full gangster and really show everybody what it, what it's like to fight. And so I, I think all of you know who I'm going to talk about. This is Senator Lindsey Graham, who's a Republican senator out of South Carolina, he shocked the world last week whenever he addressed the Senate panel. This was when Judge Kavanaugh was giving his his hearing and, and talking to everybody and answering questions and giving a statement. And, you know, Lindsey Graham started talking to him a little bit. And then all of a sudden, Lindsey Graham just went off. He went half cocked, man. He just it, it was just it was such a powerful moment from a guy, to be honest with you. I was not a huge fan of this guy was kind of a paper tiger, like, you know. Sometimes he was super Republican. Sometimes he was conservative. Other times it seemed like he would just, you know, lick his finger, stick it in the air and see which way the wind was blowing. He was just kind of all over the place. But he's really made himself out to be a hero in the last week. And to be honest with you, if Judge Kavanaugh is confirmed, I think he owes a debt of gratitude to Lindsey Graham. Because Lindsey Graham basically called out what was happening in the Senate chambers and what was happening in this committee, and he was pointing it out for what it was, which was a farce. And so um, as opposed to describing it, and I know some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. I want you guys to actually hear the audio of what he said. So I, I found the audio of it. And because I, you know, I saw some places online where they had cut it into like 30 second little clips or one minute clips or something like that. But I wanted you to get the full uh, accounting of the things that he said and the tone and tenor. And I'll put the, uh, the, the link to the video in the show notes so you can actually watch it because he got very, very animated. So here, we're going we're gonna to stop the podcast right here and I'm going to go ahead and let you listen to the audio. So here we go. FBI reports in the past, in the 38 years I've been in the Senate, Senator Graham. Are you aware that at 9.23, on the night of July the 9th, the day you were nominated to the Supreme Court by President Trump, Senator Schumer said, 23 minutes after your nomination, I will oppose Judge Kavanaugh's nomination with everything I have 
I have a bipartisan, and I hope a bipartisan majority will do the same. The stakes are simply too high for anything less. Well, if you weren't aware of it, you are now. Did you meet with Senator Dianne Feinstein on August 20th? I did meet with Senator Feinstein. Did you know that her staff had already recommended a lawyer to Dr. Ford? I did not know that. Did you know that her and her staff had this allegations for over 20 days? I did not know that at the time. If you wanted an FBI investigation, you could have come to us. What you want to do is destroy this guy's life, hold this seat open, and hope you win in 2020. You've said that, not me. You've got nothing to apologize for. When you see Sotomayor and Kagan, tell them that Lindsey said hello, because I voted for them. I would never do to them what you've done to this guy. This is the most unethical sham since I've been in politics. And if you really wanted to know the truth, you sure as hell wouldn't have done what you've done to this guy. Are you a gang rapist? No. I cannot imagine what you and your family have gone through. Boy, y'all want power. God, I hope you never get it. I hope the American people can see through this sham that you knew about it and you held it. You had no intention of protecting Dr. Ford. None. She's as much of a victim as you are. God, I hate to say it because these have been my friends. But let me tell you, when it comes to this, you're looking for a fair process. You came to the wrong town at the wrong time, my friend. Do you consider this a job interview? The advice and consent role is like a job. You consider that you've been through a job interview. I've been through a process of advice and consent under the Constitution. Which Would you say you've been through hell? I, I've been through uh, hell and then some. This is not a job interview. Yeah. This is hell. This, this, this is going to destroy the ability of good people to come forward because of this crap. Your high school yearbook. You have interacted with professional women all your life, not one accusation. You're supposed to be Bill Cosby when you're a junior and senior in high school. And all of a sudden, you got over it. It's been my understanding that if you drug women and rape them for two years in high school, you probably don't stop. Here's my understanding. If you lived a good life, people would recognize it like the American Bar Association has the gold standard. His integrity is absolutely unquestioned. He is the very circumspect in his personal conduct, harbors no biases or prejudices. He's entirely ethical, is a really decent person. He is warm, friendly, unassuming. He's the nicest person, the ABA. The one thing I can tell you, you should be proud of, Ashley, you should be proud of this, that you raised a daughter who had the good character to pray for Dr. Ford. To my Republican colleagues, if you vote no, you're legitimizing the most despicable thing I have seen in my time in politics. You want the seat? I hope you never get it. I hope you're on the Supreme Court. That's exactly where you should be. And I hope that the American people will see through this charade.
And I wish you well, and I intend to vote for you, and I hope everybody who's fair-minded will. So there you have it, guys. I mean, I wasn't kidding. Like, if you didn't know who Lindsey Graham was before this, you don't really realize how much this was out of character for this guy. And, um... Man, he just brought up a lot of different things there. I think some of the most powerful things he brought up was uh, Sotomayor and Kagan. Those were two of the guys, or, or two of one guy and one gal that were put on the Supreme Court that are very, very, very liberal. Like, incredibly liberal. Like, dangerously liberal, liberal that they're on that court. Liberal, right? And he voted for both of them. So, so he went against, you know, what maybe most Republicans would want to do now. And he, he voted for both of those people. So when he said, say hi to Sotomayor and Kagan, tell him I said hello, you know, for me, uh, I thought that was a very, you know, apropos moment that, that he wouldn't have treated somebody like that b- based on these baseless allegations, right? Uh, just, just seeing some of the things that he talked about, like he showed me that even a guy like that, an unassuming, somewhat soft-spoken sen- senator from the South, that, that he can do that. That you can fight back when, when you need to. That, that when justice is on the line, when the right thing is on the line, that it's okay to get loud. Like, it's okay to fight and defend yourself. Like, I just feel like conservatives and Christians, and yes, I'm talking to people that, that are like me. I know there's a lot of conservatives and Christians that listen to this. And if you're an atheist and liberal, I don't, I don't care. That's great. I'm glad you're here. So, so listen up. You'll, you'll get a little bit more of our mindset. But we've got to be able to fight back. And I don't mean with our fists, guys. I don't mean we need to go and, you know, throw, you know, Molotov cocktails through people's windows and, you know, scream at people in restaurants with all these morons that are doing uh, all over the place now. Like, that's not how we should act. But when people criticize Judge Kavanaugh for reacting angrily, you have to ask yourselves, would you not have reacted the same way if you had been accused of something incredibly heinous? Regardless of, of what job you might get on the back end. But if somebody just said, oh, yeah, uh, you kill kittens in your living room or, uh, yeah, I, you know, you basically go out and you make sure you shoot animals in the woods, but don't kill them. You just wound them. Like if someone just said said something like that, like that was so out out of this world, they had no substantiation for it. Wouldn't that make you angry? Because essentially, this is what people are wanting to do. A lot of people in the mainstream media, a lot of people that align on the political left or on the liberal side of the aisle, they want to end Judge Kavanaugh's life. I don't mean literally, but end like his professional life and keep him from getting the Supreme Court based on one woman's accusations that can't be substantiated by literally anything else than her words. So does that mean it didn't happen? Not saying it didn't happen, but we have no evidence to believe that it did. And they want us to basically take her opinion or or not her opinion, excuse me, but they they want to take what she said, what she feels like she remembers, what she feels like happened, and just go with that. Guys, we can't stand for stuff like that. Inside the political realm or outside the political realm. We shouldn't stand for stuff like that in our churches. Like like we shouldn't allow our pastors or or the people that that teach us on Sundays to misquote the Bible or, or to use things out of context. Like, that doesn't mean you need to stand up and necessarily interrupt him in the middle of the sermon, although that'd be pretty awesome, and I'd, I'd want to watch it. But, but the guys, guys, we have facts on our side on so many of these different things. I mean, look at, look at all these different things that are, that are going on in our culture right now. We got the transgender debate. I mean, that's completely based on feelings, right? It has nothing to do with science. There's no scientific basis or backing for the idea that somebody can be gender fluid that they can float in and out of, of certain genders, that certain days they're non-binary, that they're not even a gender. Like, come on. 
facts would would need to come into that situation. How about rape culture? You know, that's something that's debated. You know, there's this stat going around, and, and man, I'm even going to call him out on this, but Stephen Mansfield, that's my boy, but he even parroted this on his podcast this week that 20% of college females are sexually assaulted. Like, that, that stat has been so ceremoniously debunked that it's not even funny. Because, guys, if that was true... If that was really true, if that wasn't based on feelings, if that was based on facts, would anybody send their girls to college? I mean, really, guys out there with daughters, maybe you have daughters in high school or junior high, elementary school, maybe you have daughters in college. If there was a one in five chance of them getting sexually assaulted, would you send them? Come on. Like the the stats are somewhere like, you know, one in a thousand women are raped, which is too many, but it's like one in a thousand. And on a college campus, it's more like one in 50 something, which again is insanely too many. But but to say that it's 20%, that's absurd. It's ridiculous. It doesn't matter what you feel about the situation. It matters what the reality is. And that gets us into the whole, you know, triggered culture where it's like somebody says something that you disagree with and you feel like you get to scream and holler and disrupt or cry or go to your safe space or something like that. All those things are based on feelings. It's not based on facts. Like that that's what we really need to think about this. This isn't just a political thing. I mean, the majority of this podcast content has been political, but that, that's not the realm that we're dealing with right now. Like we're dealing with all of it. Like we've got to be able to be realistic. And so I understand, and don't get me wrong, it's not like, okay, we can't do anything based on feelings, but if we only base things on facts, that's a pretty good standard. But if we only base things on feelings, that's a pretty crappy standard. It, it doesn't take some sort of advanced you know, thinker to, to really come up to come to that conclusion either. You don't need to be a philosophical genius to think that that's a good way of doing things. But guys, as I was thinking through this podcast and I was thinking through, you know, how I wanted to frame this, that would be most helpful. I wanted to kind of go through some things that I've felt myself, some things that I've, that I've believed myself, some things that I've had other people tell me about, um, that, that kind of go into this whole facts versus feelings thing, but, but on the Christian side, so whenever I've shared Jesus with people, whenever I've talked to people about what they believe, you know, there's this feeling amongst these people that they need to be clean before they come to God versus, you know, the fact of just going to him in the first place, right? We, you know, maybe this is your story, but it's certainly the story of a lot of my friends where it's just like, you know, they would probably consider Jesus, but they, they'd have to make too many life changes before he would accept them. You know, they're, they're just too dirty right now, too sinful. You know, they've done too many bad things, like that kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, that's a facts versus feelings things because they feel like they need to be cleaned up before they get there as opposed to just going to them. Like, like I've seen that come up quite a bit, actually. It's, it's really, I mean, Satan's working there, man. That's a great, that's a great lie. Not a good lie. That's a great lie. And another facts versus feelings thing on the Christian side is, I guess, the feeling of being saved versus the reality of being saved. And and so I'll, I'll tell a story about me. So uh, again, for, for any of you that know me or have listened to this podcast for any length of time, I didn't grow up in church. You know, no one in my family is very religious. Um, you know, they're just kind of religious in name only. Like if you ask them, do you believe in God? They'd say, yeah, but they pretty much live as if he doesn't exist. That That's kind of my family. Uh, a lot of parts of my family, especially my immediate, fa- immediate family. But when I became a Christian in 10th grade, whenever I was saved or, or whatever language you use in your denomination, because apparently not everyone just use, uses saved or accepted Jesus into my heart, um, you know, the feeling was incredible, right? It, you, had, you had that 
focused feeling and I got baptized and I really felt like something happened and I started reading the New Testament and, and kind of going through and everything was just like making sense and it was just one of those things where the feeling was crazy big y'all it's, I mean you get it and because I didn't have that crazy like I was coked out of my mind and I almost died and then Jesus like pulled me up right before I died and you know this crazy conversion experience it was just kind of a regular old Sunday night service you know what I mean but then the feeling waned right it waned right about the time I got into Deuteronomy, right? So I start reading the Old Testament. I was like, this is uh, different than the New Testament, right? And I, and I didn't really know. I didn't have the maturity to know the difference and, and why it was important and all those, the messianic prophecies. It just didn't, didn't really land with me, right? I was in 10th grade. But the feeling of being saved had started to wane, right? I just didn't have that same feeling. I mean, just, just think about it like any of you guys that have gone to church camps. So the, the, there's big ones here in Oklahoma, like Falls Creek. I know some of y'all have gone out to, uh, you know, I think it's Glorietta out in New Mexico. There, there's a bunch of these really, really big camps. And when you're there, you're going to like worship, you know, two or three times a day. And, and you're praying and, and you're, you're hanging out with your friends and you're admitting crap that you've done wrong. And like, you know, you're crying and you're doing all this other crazy stuff and you're having a ton of fun. And, you know, everything's just so, so elevated and so nuts. Like it just, everything feels so awesome. But then you get home and, and you promised yourself you're going to talk to all your friends about Jesus and you're going to, you know, increase the, the size of your youth group tenfold and all those different things. But, you know, then it's Monday and, you, you know, you're back to normal thing. You got to go to practice or you got to go to school. Uh, and then it's, you know, a week or two goes by and then you, you kind of forget even the words to some of the songs that you sang back at camp. And, you know, you, you stopped texting the, the people that you went to camp with more regularly or stopped writing them letters or calling them or whatever you did at that time. You, kind of, you guys kind of get where I'm going. It's like the feeling subsided. And so when I was in college, I had this buddy, a uh, buddy of mine named Tyler, and um, he worked in, in my building and he kind of was, you know, kind of my boss. And then, you know, my boss's boss was above him. And so he was kind of like a mentor. He was a couple of years older than I was. And, you know, at one point I was like, you know, Hey, I need your help on some stuff. Like I just, I want to do some mentoring type thing. And I knew he was a good Christian guy, played in a worship band and, and seemed to have some wisdom even for being, being a younger guy. And, um, you know, he, he said something so profound to me that I've, that I've never forgotten up to this, up to this day. And it was that, do I really want to base the biggest decision of my life on a feeling. And I was like, like, what are you talking about? Because leading up to that comment, I was telling him like, man, I don't know if I'm saved. And he's like, well, what do you mean? I was like, well, I just don't feel saved. Like the feeling's not there. You know, that feeling of, of, of Jesus being right there. And you know, the feeling like I should raise my hands during worship or whatever it is that y'all do or something like that. I just don't have that feeling. He's like, Kyle, like, why would you base that on a feeling? It's like feelings go up and down. Happiness, sadness, like it's kind of all over the place. Why would you want to base your eternity on a feeling? And that's stuck with me ever since. It's like there's the feeling of being saved and then there's the reality of if you are or not. If you've actually accepted Jesus. And I guess the last thing I want to talk about here on the facts versus feeling part, which is, you know, the feeling of distance from God versus the reality of God's presence. I mean, there's the feeling that, you know, maybe I feel close to God or maybe I feel far away from God, you know, something like that. But in reality, he's always here. Like that, that's my encouragement to you guys. Like this isn't my Joel Osteen moment, y'all, but it's just like, he's here all the time. Like I, I talk to Christians all the time. That's just like, man, God just feels so distant. He feels so distant from me. It's like, well, have you tried talking to him? 
Like, this isn't a hard equation. Like, everything around us was created by him. Like, he's here. Omniscient, omnipresent, all the other omni words that no one knows how to pronounce. Like, guys, he's here. But again, it's facts versus feelings. And when we lean on the feeling, we might drift even further away from God. Like, we might even distance ourselves a little bit more inadvertently. Like, it's not something that we wanted to do, but it's something that happened. As opposed to resting in, in the reality, in the fact that God's presence is here. He's here now. He's in this moment that we are saved, that we are his sons, that we are his daughters, like that we are loved by him, that we are made in his image. Those things are different. And man, I'm so glad those things aren't based on feelings, y'all. I mean, just think about it. How many things do you not feel like doing, but you do them anyway because you're disciplined? Or because you know the fact of you not doing that thing is worse than the fact of you doing that thing? Right? I mean, guys, I hope you're I hope you're getting the point here because this is again, this isn't just a political podcast from a guy who aligns on the on the political right. This is just one of those things we have to have facts in our lives. We have to study the Bible and look for facts. We have to be able to stand up and defend ourselves. We have to be able to give an apology. We have to be able to give an apologetic for why we believe what we believe. We shouldn't, you know, feel intimidated when people challenge our belief system because we have facts on our side, guys. Because here's the thing, if Jesus never lived, it it creates more questions that can be answered. If Jesus didn't actually die on the cross and then was resurrected three days later, it causes more questions than it answers. Everything needs an answer. Do you have the answers? And this isn't my plea to you to, you know, drop what you're doing and go to seminary and study apologetics and go debate people and try to be a part of Ravi Zacharias's crew or something like that. But guys, to a certain degree, we should be able to give a reason why we believe what we believe. And it can't be, well, uh, I'm from Texas. And so uh, I guess I'm a Christian. Like, you can't do that. Like, guys, I mean, dude, I live in the belt buckle of the Bible belt. I'm in Oklahoma, but it's just like, come on. That doesn't make you a Christian. I hear that nonsense all the time. Are you a Christian? Well, I am from the South. What does that mean? What does that mean? And guys, we just have to be facts-based in what we're doing. I'm going to drive that point home over and over. We have to be facts-based on the things that we're talking about. doesn't mean we can't show emotion. doesn't mean we can't have feelings. doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit can't move. None of those things. But if our foundation is in facts, it's going to help us overall. So I'll leave the point there because I think I've beaten it completely to death. But hopefully that landed with you guys. All right, guys, before we let you out of here, we're going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know, by now, we are a men's ministry, and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. And we do that by providing content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So today, we're going to work on that mental resilience. So a few videos that I wanted to shoot out to you guys. One is obviously the video of Senator Lindsey Graham just eviscerating the Senate panel. And and so I know whenever you're listening to that audio, sometimes you didn't know exactly who he was talking to. You're just like, whoa, was he mad at Judge Kavanaugh? But he was literally turning to his Democrat colleagues to his left and just going in on them. So it's worth your time. It's absolutely worth your time to watch that. But there were a couple of other videos that I thought would be important for y'all to watch. The first is a video called Facts Don't Care About Your Feelings. It's a PragerU video by Ben Shapiro. And, you know, here's the thing about Ben Shapiro and, and the next guy I'm going to talk about. I don't agree with everything that they say or their tactics on everything, but I think a lot of the things that he brings up in this very short video are very true in terms of the dichotomy between facts and feelings and how important it is for us to operate in the realm of facts. So I thought that'd be important for y'all. And then a video that literally just came out 
yesterday um, is a video called Rape Culture is a Myth, Change My Mind. And so this is from the Change My Mind segment of the Louder with Crowder show by Stephen Crowder. And let me go ahead and say this right from the outset. I understand that Stephen Crowder has done some controversial things. You know, he's kind of one of those guys that, you know, he's a comedian. He He's a right-leaning comedian. And so sometimes he, he does the thing that he says he detests, which is like, oh, I'm going to put the clown mask on and then I'm going to take the clown mask off whenever I need to be serious. Like, you know, that type of thing, which I don't really agree with. And there's been several things that he said that I don't really agree with. There's several things that videos he's made that I don't necessarily agree with the tone or the tenor. But that's not really the point about this one. The change my mind segment that he did is something that started, I think it may have been last year, but it's basically long form discussions with people that completely disagree with his point of view on certain things. So it'll, it'll be on incredibly uh, controversial topics. So it'll be about transgenderism or gun gun rights or something like that. But this one was actually about rape culture and he did it on the TCU campus. It's the second time I believe he was on the TCU campus. And I just, I think it's important for you to watch this video. It's fairly lengthy. So, and you can bump up the speed to like one and a half or two times speed. Um, But just watch some of the people that sit down next to him. These are college students. And some of them just literally cannot handle their feelings. Like their feelings and their emotions have completely overridden the parts of their brain that would help them be logical. And and just, just look at how Steven Crowder reacts to these people and how he tries to have a civil conversation, trying to find some level of understanding or some common ground. And because the thing is, is these videos should be the wave of the future. And I think to a certain degree, they will be. I mean, look at podcasts, these long form discussions. I mean, three hour long Jocko Willink and, and Joe Rogan podcasts that people are just like eating up like candy. Like that's the wave of the future because these, these like 30 second or two minute long things on Fox news or CNN or whatever, like that's just not going to work anymore. Cause you try to say the most extreme thing possible so you can get clickbait later. It like, it doesn't really help with a conversation. So I think that would be an interesting thing for y'all to look at when we're looking at this dichotomy between facts and feelings. And guys, one last thing real quick, do yourselves a favor and be a good American and watch you some playoff baseball guys. It's the best time of the year. It's October. It's the postseason. We've already had a two game one sixty threes. We've had uh, one wild card game, a couple of days ago, we got the Yankees and Athletics literally playing as I'm recording this right now, so I gotta go check that score. Guys, the playoffs are gonna be great. The American League playoffs this year, it's gonna be a bloodbath. I mean, you got the Indians facing the Astros, and then you got the winner of the Yankees and Athletics playing the Red Sox. It's gonna be a really, really incredible October. I mean, I just, this is the part where I, I kind of clear out my evenings because I wanna get there and watch these baseball games. So do yourself a, a big favor here. Don't be a communist and actually watch yourself some baseball, all right? All right, guys, thanks as always for listening to this part of the podcast. We really appreciate you. If you would, please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. If you use the hashtag UndauntedLife, we'll be sure to find the post and give it a thumbs up. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, please leave us those. We're still currently five-star reviewed, so please give us five stars and leave us a few sentences to tell us why you like the podcast, all right? I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the remainder of 2018 and the beginning part of 2019, so if you want me to come speak to your men's group, to your Sunday school, to your church, to your team, whatever, hit me up, info at undaunted.life, info at undaunted.life. Our website is www.undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search undaunted life under plans and as always we want to thank the band august burns red for allowing us to use their music library for our content 
The intro outro track on this podcast is their song King of Sorrow, which is off their latest record entitled Phantom Anthem. The links to all of this are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.